Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. Not only is Bluehost Cloud our fastest web hosting available, but it's also built for WordPress creators by WordPress experts. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Happy Friday the 13th. Stay safe out there, folks. Watch out for black cats and all that other spooky stuff. We are here instead to get you informed about the tail end of this crazy week in crypto. I'm Zach Seward. I have David Morris. I have Jensen Assey. I have Will Foxley on the show today. We are going to get you up to speed, starting with a story from Jen. Take it away. Well, what better way to end the craziest week I think a lot of us have experienced in a long time by talking about will Elon buy Twitter or will he not buy Twitter? So he tweeted that he's still committed to the Twitter acquisition after he put it on hold. So in a tweet that came out earlier today, he said Twitter deal temporarily on hold, pending details supporting calculation that spam fake accounts do indeed represent less than 5% of users. So according to an SEC filing, the social media company estimates that less than 5% of their accounts on the site are fake. And Elon wants to verify that before taking the reins. Zach, I'm going to kick this one down to you. What will happen next in this saga? Remember when this was the craziest story that we were talking about? It all feels so quaint. It's nice to be reacquainted with the Twitter (laughs) Elon Musk saga. Feels good, man. Anyway, I don't know what's going on here except for him maybe trying to like juice the price. It's kind of weird, kind of sus a little bit. He's like out here. He's like, it's on hold. Price tanks. It's still good. Price back up. And I don't know what's going on. I'm not smart enough to know what kind of game theory is unfolding in Elon Musk's head at the moment. But it is funny that he can, again, still command the attention economy so capably, potentially to his own financial gain. So anyway, it definitely harkens back to a distant time just one week ago in which we all were caring about this story. And it is interesting to see it back in the headlines. But that's all I got. Over to you, David. Oh, well, good guess. I actually do have several game theories about this. He's already negotiated a price for this, so I'm not sure exactly how that's going to play out if he manages to tank the stock price personally with his own tweets. 
<laughs> but my theory here is a little bit darker, which is that, you know, I think he is still on the fence. It's still several months from this thing finalizing. And at the end of the day, I think there's a very plausible scenario where all of this was just to provide cover for him selling $8 billion worth of his own Tesla stock and tanking that by half, uh, which is what has happened over the last few weeks. You know, he takes a $1 billion haircut out of that $8 billion that he netted when he backs out of this deal, and Tesla stock continues its slide back into reality, I think. <laughs> so that's the conspiracy theory, but I am certainly open to more generous interpretations. I will say the SEC has clearly failed here because Elon thinks he can do whatever he wants. Will, go ahead. Yeah, I'm just looking at the, the numbers, right? And right now, Twitter stock is trading around 40 bucks a share. When he made this offer on the 25th, it was trading around 50, like just under 48 $49 a share. And so maybe he just wants to get that little discount, right? That's a smart move to make. And he just pulls a number out of the book, this 5% value saying like, hey, this is a little iffy. Let's renegotiate. Something's not right here. Equities are down already. So he's just, I think he's just taking advantage of that. Like, I don't see how this doesn't add up, but it would be smart for him to look at like where the market is at based on before and after the crash we've seen over the last two weeks and renegotiate a deal. And sometimes to get that negotiation across the finish line, you need to pull something out of the numbers and be like, hey, this looks iffy. It's just like it's a red herring mm -hmm. almost. It doesn't really matter. Uh, everyone knows that Twitter has tons of fake accounts. Everyone knows that there's tons of spam bots on Twitter. Everybody knows that. He knew that before he was going to purchase this, this last time. And I'm sure it's higher than 5%. And that's a very easy way for him to look at this and renegotiate a deal, decrease that cost for him, which also frees up so much more capital for the other things he's doing. Right In this report from Bloomberg, we see that he has other borrowings of his stock in Tesla tied up for other purchases. And smart man, he's got to make a move that's going to enable him to use that stock to the fullest benefit. So I think like whoever's on his law team was looking at this and be like, this is a good time to renegotiate, which is use this number super easy. I wouldn't be surprised if that share price was like $54.20 goes down to like $51.20 or whatever his new meme he's going to pull out for it. I just see that happening. Jen, I'll throw it over to you. Yeah, I was just going to add some facts in that both you and David have already touched on. So there is a $1 billion termination fee if the deal does not go through. And I wanted to point to the fact that he is also out there actively seeking investors and not taking a margin loan out against the Tesla stocks will, like you just said. So maybe this is just, you know, delay tactics to find some of those investors so that he doesn't have to over leverage himself. But I'll kick it back to you. Yeah, I don't have the names in front of me, but yesterday there was actually two notable people who did leave Twitter basically in anticipation of Elon coming into helmship of Twitter. One was the head of product and one was head of revenue. So much fact check beyond that, but I believe that's who they were. And it just tells you like there's going to be some cleaning house. Uh, the one little news bit I saw out of it was that the acting CEO called up the head of product and said like, hey, we're asking you to resign. It's being forced out because Elon's coming to town. So Twitter's already making moves. Apparently, they've also uh, frozen hiring. And that tells you that like they are expecting this deal to go through. Like Maybe it doesn't. Maybe Elon looks at this spam problem and sees it's not worth it. And it was just a shakeup uh, and it messes with everyone's financials. But like, I think there's already everything being set in place, right? They're freezing hiring. They're getting rid of some top executives. This is just renegotiation. And I expect it to go through in the next week or so. Uh, Zach, I'll kick it up to you though. Sure. 
Elon Musk, man, always out here doing something. <laughs> I got nothing more. We'll just talk about it again. What a we'll way to wrap it, it up, Elon, time. man. That's it. Elon, man. You know what Elon did last night? He un you know what he did? He unfollowed Coindesk, <laughs> a real account on Twitter. What? Did, according to That's the, the new like, story here. Tech unfollow bot. So whatever. He unfollowed us. It is what whatever. it is. Devastating. All right. Let's talk about some other stonks. Let's go to Robin Hood. We're talking about Hood. Yesterday in an SEC filing that came out, it was revealed that FTX CEO SBF, Sam Bankman Fried, bought 7.6% of the popular trading app. And that was a pretty hefty chunk of change as it related to the price of the stock at close yesterday. So this uh, juiced the stock a little bit. It was up about 20-something percent in aftermarket trading, and that's having a strong day here on a Friday. This comes as other stocks are kind of bumping a little bit, like Coinbase is up. There's also a lot, a lot of interesting movement right now in the stock market related to crypto-related stocks and also a couple of tech stocks. So it's unclear if the market is responding specifically to SBF's involvement here or whether or not it's a broader sort of upward trajectory for some of these down stocks that have been having a rough go of it in these last few weeks. So anyway, SBF getting in the game of uh, buying a chunk of a prominent you know, fintech firm. Maybe that's sort of becoming table stakes to being a billionaire in the tech world. And there's definitely money from this last crypto bull run that's being reinvested in some of these other platforms. So I don't know, interesting to see this hit the old SEC filing site. I could go any number of ways with this one, but I'm going to toss it to Jen for her thoughts. Yeah, I just wonder what the long-term strategy here is for SBF. So the filing says that the reporting persons intend to hold the shares as an investment and do not currently have any intention of taking any action toward changing or influencing the control of the issuer. But it does still go on to say that he may from time to time engage in discussions with management. And I just wonder how that might evolve and what the long-term play is here, right? We've seen FTX get involved in really strategic mergers and acquisitions in different jurisdictions. And I just think there's something bigger here than him just investing in Robinhood. And that is my take on this. David or Will, what do you think? I'll take it really quickly. It's interesting that SBF made the move with his own personal stash. And I wonder if it comes out of FTX equity since he owns, obviously, such a large part of it as a co-founder and CEO. I'm also wondering about like FTX US and how this plays out with Robinhood. FTX itself was notable because it tokenized a lot of securities and enabled trading for things like Apple and Tesla. That wasn't really under SEC purview because FTX operates outside US jurisdictions, but FTX US does operate within US jurisdictions. They obviously don't have those tokenized stocks because SEC would come knock down their door. But uh, I, I always expected FTX US like get those brokerage agreements or those licenses they needed to be able to trade those stocks. And now he's invested in this company that is basically doing already what the next frontier was for FTX US. So maybe that was just a bad reading by me of what FTX US is going to do. It seems FTX US is probably just going to stick with crypto going forward. And Robinhood obviously has its fintech purview where it's just like growth stocks, tech stocks, and uh, well-known cryptos. And maybe that's like the, the partition there. Curious to see what happens though, because if you have an owner and a CEO like having a stake in two different companies that have similar products, that can be beneficial just in terms of roadmap, but it can also eat into each other's market share. Zach, I'll give it to you. Yeah, FTX US is in the process of getting some of those licenses where they can, they can sell stocks and other stuff like that. I think the interesting thing is the merging of these two worlds, right? Like Robinhood does pretty solid numbers when it comes to trading certain crypto assets. They were a big force in the recent sort of run-up in Dogecoin, right? Like a lot of people who got their start day trading meme stocks 
quickly ported over to some of these meme coins during the, the frothy days so long ago, mere months. But the, the sort of the merging of these two worlds is represented by FTX's CEO getting more closely involved with Vlad over there at Robinhood could get really interesting and a sort of interesting sort of merger. I could imagine sort of in the next bull cycle as it relates to crypto, the merging of these two worlds could become like further and further enmeshed, like hard to distinguish what is the crypto trading platform and what is a like more traditional trading platform. And I think this points to maybe some future like that emerging not too far away from now. David, I'm going to toss it to you for your thoughts on this one. Uh, yeah, my only real thought is just that to Jen's earlier point about plans, it's implausible that you buy 8% of Robinhood and then you're, you don't have ideas about what it should do. So just to say that I do think SBF will have a lot of force in shaping Robinhood going forward. I, did anybody see anything about board seats in, or anything like that? Or is it just a, so it's just an investment stake right now, but I think we can expect to see some changes. I wanted to just go off the back of what Zach was saying. When we, when we look at these two worlds merging, I think it has a lot to do with user experience. So a lot of people who got into trading meme stocks got onto Robinhood because it was super easy to use. It, it felt intuitive to people who hadn't operated on these like really complex trading platforms. And I think that, Zach, to your point, we're going to see that merge happen as we solve for user experience, because I don't think we've really found the solution for that in the crypto space. I, a lot of people are working on it and we haven't quite gotten there yet. That's kind of why the merger is going to happen as you have nicely articulated it. And I want to say, you know, we just spoke about Elon. We saw Elon buy 10% of Twitter and say he wasn't going to be involved in Twitter at all. And look yeah, how that exactly. story has evolved. So I think that we have some excitement in our future. Zach, I'll kick it back to you, though. Yeah, I mean, last thoughts. The street seems to like it, right? They seem to think that SBF buying a chunk of Robin Hood means that Robin Hood is going to have a more sophisticated approach to the crypto markets going forward. I think we can maybe deduce that from the price activity that we saw yesterday. And it's going to be... Again, interesting to watch this one unfold. And hey, man, maybe SPF is the next Elon Musk. Maybe we've been talking about <laughs> the same figure, but in different parts of the timeline. That would be really crazy. I will say, thankfully, SPF seems to have a little bit more self-control. Let's put it that way. Mm. Mm. All right. And uh, so, yeah, Luna UST is still going on, still continuing its asymptotic approach to zero. And for those who are familiar, this coin, because of the way it's set up, is going towards zero and will continue to. But as we noted today, it is still being traded on a lot of exchanges. You know, there are some very complicated, I think, ethical questions about that. We did see uh, Binance this morning announced that they were going to suspend trading or CZ announced for what turns out will only be a few hours. They're going to restart this afternoon. So I guess just to kind of lay out the stakes here, I have seen a lot of somewhat worrying chatter on Twitter about people thinking that because this has gone down 99%, it has to go up again. And that is not true. There, there is no reason to expect a bounce in this asset. On the other hand, there are arguments for allowing people to continue to trade this. There are various discussions going on about people trying to revive the chain. I think that's very misguided, but I think there is a debate here. Will, what do you think? No, I think you're spot on there. What goes up must come down, but what goes down does not necessarily have to go up. I think this is sunk into the ground forever. That's like far less than a penny and probably the most important chart in crypto this year, maybe even in the last two years. I think that there's like some over 30,000 tokens at this point. And the trading question is definitely one a lot of exchanges have to grapple with and a lot of consumer protectors have to grapple with as well. 
how to include journalists in that group. What should be listed? What should consumers be able to buy? What should retail be able to buy? And I do sort of fall on the the side of an exchange should be able to list whatever it wants. Uh, it is its own private business. Obviously, you should probably only go to exchanges that have your best interest in mind, though. So there's two edges to that sword. I do mm-hmm. think in the case for Terra Luna, some people have some coins and they maybe have a hope of getting them out. And obviously, if they're going to sell them, they're selling it to someone else who is the, the greater fool in this situation. Mm-hmm. At the same time, though, like the liquidity is so low and the volume is so low on this token that it almost doesn't matter at this point. Like, I think this question of like, should Terra Luna be listed doesn't matter. If, it, if the coin had like a little bit more juice in it at this point, like, I think this question would be relevant. But right now, like if you're trading out of a, a Terra position or a Luna position, like you have nothing to trade into. There's cents, there's pennies. It's not going to make a difference. The transaction fee is going to be greater than what you're going to get on the other side. So if this had like even just a little bit more, if it was maybe 10 cents a, co- a token, then I think this conversation would really be important. Be like, oh, should Binance delist or should FTX delist? But right now, I don't, I don't see it as too important. Jenny, I throw it down to you and get your take. Well, I have a question. So since the Terra blockchain halted, what happens when people trade this coin on the exchanges that are still listing it? Because isn't it nothing? That's good intuition there. It, it definitely <laughs> does not much happens <laughs> in terms of like okay. settling on chain. So what can happen in some cases is some exchanges do hold some liquidity and they hold it in wallets or whatnot, but and you're just like basically trading on their book. And so there's like record keeping who has what token, but it can't be settled on chain. So the accounts can't move on the physical chain at that point. So uh, FTX must have some sort of settlement system internally where they're keeping records of transactions between users and the order book itself. But there's definitely not tokens moving in between Terra and Luna at this point, or I don't know if they restarted it yet. They paused it like late last (laughs) night for the second time in like the preceding 24 hours. And then some hours later, I think after about nine hours, they restarted the chain. So that that was announced this morning that the the chain is back online, baby. Let's go online, back online. Just to piggyback on that a little bit, it's too complicated to dive into, but they had to halt the chain because of the economics and the way that it works with the security. In this particular case, there's just built-in dynamics that drive this down towards nothing. And I just want to clarify that is significantly different from most other crypto projects. So for example, we're not talking about the fact that like EOS is still trading. There are a lot of not that relevant projects that are still trading very widely, but those are different cases because there can still be value there. There is still community building those things and really anything could happen. We could see a revival of EOS at any time, but this is a unique case where there is particular dynamic that that has destroyed all this value and that needs to be acknowledged. Uh, Jen, I think I saw you. Yeah, I was going to say, I agree with Will when I I think exchanges, which are private businesses, should be able to list what they want to list. But I think we're going to see this whole Terra scenario play out at great length when it comes to regulators. And I think we're going to see a lot of the CEOs of these exchanges be called to committees and hearings. And we're going to hear those differing opinions. I mean, reading CZ's tweets. I don't remember if it was this morning or, or late last night. Everything just kind of is blurred together for me when it comes to the story. But I think reading his tweets, it, it shows us that there's going to be a greater discussion in the industry when it comes to consumer protection as we fall out of this story. And I, I think there's going to... I don't know if a lot is going to change, but definitely there's going to be a lot of discussion. Zach, did I see your head go up? I saw Will, Will? so down to him. 
Yeah, just to David's point, I think there is some precedent for delisting coins just based on like how toxic that community has been. BSV notably has been delisted on mm-hmm. many exchanges just because yeah. the community was very toxic and a lot of exchanges didn't want to act, interact with that community at all. So that is definitely one area I could see this continue to happen where people are so burnt out on Terra, they're so burnt out on the ecosystem and what caused uh, a lot of people to lose a lot of savings that they just delist this coin. And then on the other side of that, it's also like, does this coin bring value to your exchange? Well, people really aren't trading it at this point because there's no value in it. And to keep that order book open, just mm-hmm. you have to have maintenance, especially if the chain's going on and offline. So I think those two reasons, you're going to see like more delistings. Though again, I, I am in the position like, do what you want with your company. But let's move over to Galaxy Digital. Oh, actually, David, one last thought. Just make one last comment, um, which is that there is a built-in release valve in the system, right? I mean, I don't know if it's economically practical at this point, given the prices, but if you have these assets and they're not locked in an exchange, you can always go to a DEX. If you're a crypto person who has accepted the risk of dealing with this extremely experimental thing, you should hopefully be the same person who has the knowledge and skills to go to a DEX and do what you want without having to rely on an exchange. That's not necessarily the case, as we know, and are about to discuss, but in theory, that's where the, the hardcore people should be doing their trading. Yeah, let's talk about Galaxy Digital, which has reported $300 million in losses from quarter to date. So beginning of the quarter was just in April. Obviously, they've been sucked into the downturn of crypto assets. Uh, here we see like that's pretty rough spot to be in, but they're balancing their book pretty well. So $1.6 billion split, 50-50 here between cash and digital assets. Interesting bit here is Galaxy Digital founder and CEO Mike Novogratz is a well-known proponent of Luna, uh, at least at one point. And it seems like they've, according to disclosures, sold off a lot of that position. So they seem to be fine. It's interesting to look at these larger crypto merchant banks, VCs, hedge funds, and see like where they sit in terms of downtrends in crypto. Because they're oftentimes holding huge amounts of assets on their books. And they just have to sit with them and rock and roll with them uh, no matter what happens. Uh, sometimes they can sell off their position. Sometimes they can't. Just as a disclosure, Compass Mining, which I work for, has been invested in by Galaxy Digital. So throwing that in there. David, I'm going to throw this story to you, though. Yeah, this is a very bad situation. And I think that Novogratz is going to be badly wounded by it. Not financially, as we've discussed, they seem to be okay in their position, but reputationally. You know, notoriously in January, he posted to Twitter that he had gotten a full arm Luna tattoo declaring himself officially a lunatic. This is a thing worth discussing in its own right. But the problem here is that if reports are accurate, they then unloaded that position by March. And I don't know whether he made any public announcement about that, but they certainly didn't do it in a way that was as loud and public as this endorsement. And, you know, I'm not saying that there was malintent here, but in substance, That looks an awful lot like sort of pumpy dumpy behavior from a guy who was very respected for a long time in this space. And the other thing I want to address is that Novo did come from a traditional finance background and the stakes are considerably different uh, in, in crypto VC and investing because of the access that retail and the public has to these assets. If you're a private equity VC and you post like, I'm a huge fan of Theranos. It's not like the public at that point can go and buy speculative shares of Theranos that will then be worth zero in three years. So that behavior in traditional VC has one implication. In crypto, somebody like Mike Novogratz saying he's a lunatic then winds up being 
thousands, tens of thousands of regular people losing all their money. So when we discuss how we're going to adjust behavior in the space after this rolls out, the role of VCs and how they publicate, communicate is going to be very important. Speaking of VCs in the space, there are some big, big numbers circulating in the rumor mill about which firms are down and by how much. I'm not going to name those firms. I'm not going to name those numbers, but they are large numbers. There are certainly some VC firms who are hurting right now by way of their exposure to some of these assets. It seems like Galaxy Digital got out at the right time, right? In their disclosure form, they say that the net realized gain for the quarter ending in uh, March 31st, the, like L- Luna sales basically, were the main driver of $355 million in gains. So the love for Luna, as emblazoned on Mike Novogratz's left arm, may still be valid because he came out okay. Others, not so much. Yeah. Others, not so much, both in the professional trading space and as David mentioned, in the retail trading space, lost a whole lot of money as this thing cratered to zero. So it is worth remembering that these are numbers often on a screen, uh, some of which are realized and some of which aren't. But these losses are pretty significant for many a firm in the space as we sort of do the reporting and reach out to some of these people who had previously been pretty bullish on the prospects of the Loon ecosystem. I saw Will uh, raise his hand first, so much Austin. Yeah, I'll go quickly and then give it off to David. I think there's going to be a lot of repercussions from this. Uh, some VCs blowing up, some hedge funds blowing up, and then also a lot of reputational damage. I mean, I've just seen some stuff recently, Three Euros Capital, they were involved in the Luna deal as well, and they're getting some flack on Twitter for being involved with this and pumping it up. And if you look in the history book of crypto itself, this has happened quite often, right? There's There's a lot of times these firms get involved, they get huge positions early on, even before a chain launches, and then they unwind that position over time. It even happens on the foundation level, right? The Ethereum Foundation has taken hit after hit for this for years, right? In 2017, 2018, when they unloaded uh, a large Ethereum wallet at the top. And then they also did it last year, right? Vitalik even did it. He unwound some of his Ethereum position at nearly the top in like April 2021. Uh, So it's not... It's more just like a, an anemic problem to all of crypto. I'd say like all of the firms do this. And the question is, is this fair to retail? I think it does give some validity to regulators wanting to come in and tackle this issue, uh, especially when these coins don't have any value, like we found out with Terra Luna. And it does give some validity to some of the Bitcoin proponents out there who are saying like, hey, you should only invest in a chain that is obviously not pre-mined or is not having any funny games play around it. There's obviously some funny games played around Bitcoin as well, like some of the stuff with MicroStrategy or these larger firms investing in it. Like you could say with the VC firms, it's a problem with crypto as time has old itself. David, I'll give it to you for last take. Uh, Yeah. So I I hate to end on this note, but I do think it's important because we're talking about losses. And I don't know if we've confirmed very much, but there is a lot of chatter out there about people who are facing really bleak situations, particularly because UST was being advertised as this stable coin that was safe. And you could make 20% on through the subsidized slash fake anchor subsidies. People have lost a lot. And we are seeing chatter about people who are contemplating self-harm. There's talk about suicide. There's stuff going on in the Luna forums that is, is very dark. And so I just want to, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a counselor, but on a very practical level, just know that at least in the United States, bankruptcy is a much better option than ending your life. Let's put it that way. Uh, you get to keep your house. You can keep some assets. There are ways out of this. So I, you know, talk to somebody, find help, and th- you know there is light at the end of the tunnel for for anybody who has been harmed by this. And we're we're there with you. The community you've surrounded yourself with hopefully can help. 
stay strong, I guess, would be my, my message. It's tough out there. Thanks for that, David. Good note to close on. We are shutting it down for the week. It's been a busy one. Thanks so much for sticking with us through this chaotic bit of time. I'm Zach. That's Will. David, Jen, we're The Hash. We'll talk to you later. Have a great weekend. Bye. Yeah. Have a good weekend. Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. 